doctrine of tongues had uh, many that have wanted us to address certain questions as it relates to the baptism with the Holy Ghost and we would dearly love to do that but we uh, are in short of time we and we do not uh, it's not within the scope of our study to be doing all the things that as it relates to the baptism of the Holy Ghost why don't you turn to Galatians chapter I'm sorry first uh, Corinthians chapter 14 uh, and so we're trying to very specifically deal with the doctrine of speaking with other tongues and uh, that does of course relate to the baptism of the Holy Spirit but uh, we must be very specific because time is of the essence okay just um, very quickly before we uh, begin we need to look and see uh, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a separate experience from salvation how what I need some input here what is some proof that we have from the Word of God that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from salvation Dan okay that the people that were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost had already shown that they were saved before this time they're already born again Louis okay excellent mark praise praise the Lord okay Mike okay Paul Praise the Lord. Excellent. Good. Brother Hessenauer? Amen. Tremendous. Okay. Good input. And these are, are all the scriptures. We talked about do all believers have the Holy Ghost? That yes, they do. But there is the baptism and the filling that they need to experience. Okay. And uh, we talked about the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost was the evidence of tongues uh, and so we uh, in all situations where uh, evidence is recorded that evidence that evidence is speaking with other tongues amen what if somebody said well uh, you know I got filled with the Holy Ghost and I had the same evidence that the uh, Samaritan believers had I mean I didn't I didn't have the, the evidence that there was in Acts chapter 2 or 10 or 19. The evidence that I was filled with the Holy Ghost is just like that of the Samaritan believers in Acts chapter 8. What, what would our response be to a question like that or a statement like that? Paul? Okay. 
something did happen that Simon was able to see, but there is no, uh, there is no recorded evidence uh, that is there. It doesn't say what happened when they, whenever it is recorded that someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, then, uh, and evidence is given, it is always tongues. And it is everybody, not just certain individuals, but everybody that, uh, that is baptized in the Holy Ghost, where evidence is given, speaks with other tongues. Okay, we started going kind of quickly about right on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 10 and 30, a question concerning that. And we just want to deal with the fact that in the book of Acts, we're dealing with a gift that has to do with prayer and praise. It is something that everyone does. It's something that's done all at once. Everybody's doing it at the same time. 120 people on the day of Pentecost are all speaking in tongues at the same time with no interpretation at all. In uh, Acts chapter 10, we don't know how many, Cornelius' household, a uh, number of people all speaking in tongues and magnifying God, and there is no interpretation. Uh, and also the, the, uh, the 12 on, uh, in Ephesus. And so we cannot uh, place on the Book of Acts experience or the prayer and praise experience directives that are given for the tongue and interpretation experience. That is a separate thing, and that is what 1 Corinthians 12 is referring to. It's a ministry gift. It's listed with the other ministry gifts, faith, uh, miracles, healing, all the rest. This is a ministry to the body that uh, of tongues and therefore not to be has a totally different set of directives that has to be involved and so with that uh, we want to go and begin to discuss first corinthians chapter 14 and if there was anything that wasn't made clear then perhaps you know i need about six pulpits to take care of all the material that i have here somewhere okay here we go all right your bibles are open to first corinthians 14 okay and we want you to look there at this time bible interpretation is uh largely uh the same experience as if you were uh, going to have to interpret a poem or a story in english class all right uh, if you are going to, the Bible was written in language, the Bible was written in sentences and paragraphs, and so to interpret a work that has to do with writing has the exact same, uh, exact same rules uh, go towards interpreting the Bible, all right? And so there are other things that are involved, but uh, if you would just be a good grammarian, a good person with uh, understanding of, of uh, grammar, you'd go a long way to proper Bible interpretation because the Bible means what it says. And if you'll read what it says, then you'll be helped. Okay, now right here, we have 1 Corinthians 14 out of the Greek New Testament. Now why am I putting that up there? Can you see that? You can't see it at all. Well, trust me that it's there. 
There's only one thing that I want to show you from this, okay? In Bible interpretation, you understand, first of all, that the chapters and verses were not put in when the Bible was originally written. Did you, did you know that? The chapters and verses were put in by a monk, you know, about 400 A.D. Now, that's fine. Those chapters and verses really help us. But sometimes they're a little bit deceiving because we go by the chapters and verses when the author went by sentences and paragraphs, all right? And so if we're going to go back to what Paul originally wrote, we're going to need to look at the sentences and the paragraphs. Now, the problem we run into with the King James Version and with other versions is they don't properly put uh, the paragraphs in the right place. And so that leaves us uh, some degree of confusion. A paragraph, the, the uh, dictionary says, is a distinct uh, division of a written work or composition that expresses some thought or point relevant to the whole but complete in itself. So if you and I are going to properly study the Bible, we need to study paragraphs. Paragraphs are making one clear point. And if we will get the paragraphs right, then we can begin to... The 1 Corinthians 14 falls into place. Now, you can't see this here, but in the uh, original manuscript, we have a paragraph at verse 6. So in your, in your Bible, you can put a paragraph at verse 6. Now, uh, you just do that. that in the original manuscripts that there was a paragraph at verse 6. In our Bibles, there isn't a paragraph at verse 6. In other Bibles, there's not. They just don't put it there. Now, I just want you to see that this isn't something, uh, some off-the-wall thing where we're taking some uh, manuscripts that happen to fit along with our doctrine and shoving others aside. Down here is, is manuscript evidence that you, you can't see that either. But there's no, there's no question at all that that is where the paragraph goes. There's, there's no other, every single manuscript has a paragraph there that shows the paragraphs. Okay, and so you can mark a paragraph there at verse 6. You can mark a paragraph at verse 20, a paragraph at verse 26, and a par. well, we'll just leave it there. That's all that we're going to... We're all we're going to deal with. You know, there's a paragraph that around verse 33 too. So when we have our paragraphs properly in line, and again, there's no question. This is, this is standard. There's no disagreement at all. I'm not talking about like when, uh, when some manuscripts don't have the last part of the Gospel of Mark. And I'm talking about that. I'm talking about total agreement across the board in terms of that that's where the paragraphs go. All right. Does any, uh, you got your paragraphs written in there. Okay. Now, now that we have our paragraphs, we know that, uh, that in those paragraphs are the thoughts that we want to look at. We have a, praise God. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 11 through 33, uh, 1 through 33. Okay, it starts off 
and we have a paragraph, verses 1 through 5, speaking about tongues. The Bible says these words, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesy, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Okay, we have the 1 Corinthians 14. Begins with a paragraph, verses 1 through 5. And in that paragraph, in verse 2, it makes a declaration that uh, Paul is talking about tongues that are, to, that are speaking to God. All right? It says, uh, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. This is the principle that Paul is establishing in the first paragraph that tongues uh, that he is discussing here is not something that uh, uh, is something that you use to speak to the Lord, to speak to God. When you do that, what happens to you as an individual believer? You're edified. You're built up in the faith. You, you are speaking to God and addressing God. And so uh, we see that in the first uh, paragraph, it's speaking with tongues that is directed to God. That is the thrust, that's the topic sentence of that first paragraph, uh, that tongues is used to speak to God. Now, in verse 6, there's a change. You look and it says, now, brethren, that uh, uh, in uh, Greek, is a, it's a non-de. Uh, that's, that's, it, that's an emphatic uh, emphasis. Okay? It's not just uh, and brethren, like we're just going on the same train of thought. It's saying now, brethren. We're talking about something. We're going to change our thrust here. It says now, brethren. Where am I? If I come to you speaking with tongues, all right? First of all, we're talking now tongues speaking to men, worshiping God, uh, tongue, I'm sorry, tongues speaking to God in the first five verses. Worship, praise, addressing God. Men don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. You're just worshiping God in tongues, and it's directed to, to deity. We're talking about praise. But now Paul is saying, okay, that's fine, that's wonderful. Now, but if I'm going to speak to you, if this tongue is going to be used to address the assembly, then there are some things that we have to take into consideration. You see the change that's taking place here? First it was to God, but now we're talking about a use of tongues that is to address men. Okay, it says, uh, uh, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except that I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? 
He's saying, how if I'm just going to speak to you in tongues, uh, that isn't going to profit you unless there come revelation, unless there come something else with that tongue that will edify the assembly. Okay, the point that he's making, we have, uh, we, okay, our, our Roman numeral two is speaking with tongues directed to men, part one, six through 19, the principle. That is no profit to speak to a congregation in tongues unless it is interpreted. Okay? Now we're not talking about talking to God. We're talking about talking to people. And when that tongue is going to come to address an assembly, when an individual stands and speaks in an unknown tongue, when that tongue comes forth to the assembly, then that does absolutely no good to us unless that is interpreted. Is that correct? Okay. And so, Paul go, is, goes into detail here. He gives illustrations. Illustration number one has to do with musical instruments. He says in verse 7, And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? You see, if you're just banging on your harp, if you're just uh, blowing on your, uh, on your pipe and uh, you're not making any sense, what good does that do anybody? It's un indistinct sounds. It makes no sense. It's no good. He goes on to say the trumpet or it's the bugle in battle. He says, for if a trumpet or a bugle give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Again, he's emphasizing if, uh, you're ju if it's not a, a blast from the bugle that makes sense, if, it, if it's not literally the charged thing, if you're playing little taps and a little reveille and a little this or a little that, then who's going to go to battle? Nobody's going to understand what is going on. Again, these are all things that are addressed to people. Verse 9 talks about speaking plainly. So likewise ye, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Now, some people think that that's referring to speaking in tongues. It doesn't refer to speaking in tongues. It refers to just talking. So if you don't talk plainly, you're... <laughs> and somebody's going to look at you and say, oh, yeah. It's not talking about tongues. It's talking about if you don't speak your words properly, then nobody will understand what you're saying. Paul is driving this home. Again, speaking to men. We're talking about addressing men. Okay, Verse, uh, verses 10 and 11, talking about foreign languages. Okay, uh, so likewise, ye except ye, uh, I'm sorry, 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them was without signification or, or its own special uh, attributes. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. It's talking about a conversation between, if you, you don't know Spanish and you're talking Spanish and, uh, and so you're speaking English to somebody who doesn't understand English and they're speaking Spanish and you don't understand Spanish, then it's like you're a barbarian to each other. You don't know what is being said because it's not making any sense to you as individuals. He's going in depth to describe, give example after example after example of when people are addressed when the congregation, when, when people are addressed, then it's going to take more than just tongues coming forth. There's going to have to be some sense made out of it.
Okay, in 12 and 13, he gives the exhortation that uh, even so, for as much as you are zealous in spiritual gifts, seek that ye may ex excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Okay, this is uh, right in the middle of this paragraph now. He's, he's giving the, the point that he's trying to make. The point that he's making of is if you're going to speak in an unknown tongue to people. Okay, not to God now. We're talking about two people. Then you're going to need to interpret. Okay, illustration number five. Same paragraph, okay? The exact same thought that he's trying to communicate in uh, uh, chapter, verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's talking now about praying in tongues. Now, this is an illustration. He's illustrating talking to men, but he's using the illustration of a situation where, where you are talking to God. He says, uh, uh, what is it then? Uh, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray in the, with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless or praise or give thanksgiving with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving thanks, seeing that he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. Okay, so here's another illustration that Paul is using uh, to, to communicate to people, if you're going to speak to men, then you're going to have to make some sense out of it. He says, okay, the, another illustration is if you're praying in tongues, you're praying in tongues in the assembly, you're praising God in the assembly, blessing or praying, he uses both, prayer and praise. And if there's somebody next to you and they cannot, uh, they, they don't know what you're saying, they can't understand it, and so you pray with your understanding also. You pray in your regular language. And when you pray with your regular language too, then they can say amen, because then they know the gist of what you're trying to pray about. Okay, now that is a very important point right there, because what we have in that passage of Scripture is a passage in 1 Corinthians 14 where tongues is used in the assembly, where absolutely no interpretation is required. Okay, catch that because that's a critical understanding. If people are going to use verses uh, uh, 27 and 28, they're going to say, oh, you know, anytime tongues is used, it has to be interpreted. What does Paul say? He says, if you're praying in tongues, and there's someone and people next to you, a person next to you, doesn't understand, what should you do? I'm asking a question now. If you're praying in tongues, and the people next to you don't understand, what should you do? Pray with your own language. He doesn't say interpret, give an interpretation, does he? He doesn't say, if you're going to pray in an unknown tongue, make sure that somebody interprets for you or gives the interpretation. Here, in the, right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 14, is a use of tongues in the assembly that, does, that is, it is not required to be interpreted. 
If you, it's, it's, it talks about blessing with the Spirit. It talks about praising, uh, I'm sorry, praying with the Spirit. So prayer and praise, there is no requirement right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 14, no requirement that that be interpreted. Simply, if you're going to praise God, if you're going to pray in tongues, or you're going to pray in tongues, then pray in English also, or pray in Spanish, whatever your natural tongue or natural language is. Now, does that make sense? Do we have any question right at that point? I don't want to go any further. I know I went through this kind of quickly. Sister? Yeah, well, I think that our praise and prayer ought to involve both anyways. See, I, I just that we, we don't do it just if there's somebody there, but when I praise God, I praise God in tongues and I praise God in English. And so that should be how we do that. And then, you know, people say, yeah, they're praising God. They're not chanting to some pagan deity. <laughs> they're, they're praising God. Amen. Yeah. But uh, praying English also would be when other people are listening, that uh, they could say, yeah, amen. God amen. bless the servant and help us with your word. Right. Okay. Exactly. But if he, if he prays in tongues and prays, then nobody has to interpret. Okay. There's a, nobody, yes, so Dave speaks in tongues, and so, and so uh, you know, Brother Palmer gets up and says, that means, Lord, bless our Sunday school and give us a, that's, that's not necessary, see? There is a use of tongues in the assembly that does not have to be interpreted. Kathy? So when you pray and when you praise God, you praise God in tongues, you praise God with your understanding also. See, praising God with tongues is a wonderful thing, but there's something about exercising your mind to think about the, the character and the attributes and the works of God that brings a, a, a work in your heart when you're not just praising God in tongues, but praising with the understanding also. Speaking in tongues is okay. Yeah, there was a false purpose. He was just trying to give balance to. He's trying to calm them down. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking in tongues. Exactly, Heidi. Praise the Lord. Excellent, Bill. Going to door tried to warn us against praying in tongues too much because unsaved people come in and they're literally freaked out. They say, Pastor Mitchell says, I don't buy it. 
the uh, problem is, you know, with our generation, is not that we pray too much, but that we don't pray enough. Uh -huh. And uh, I said that to Dennis, that uh, we need not be intimidated by, you know, just giving it our best. And right. Exactly. Absolutely. Paul said, okay, right here he says, For verily thou givest thanks well. That word well is the Greek word kalos, which is the Greek word for beautiful. When we have the word, uh, uh, you've heard of kaleidoscope, that the first word is beautiful, the second word is form, and the third word is see. It's a kaleidoscope, it's seeing beautiful forms. And so when, he, when Paul says, when you praise God in the Spirit, you're praising God beautifully. I like that. You're you don't have to be, oh, well, you know, they're going to think I'm nuts, or this sounds heathen. This, uh, no, that's beautiful. God loves it, and God appreciates it, and you just get it on. You praise God in tongues and worship God in tongues, but you also, for your own edification and for those around you, you praise God in English too, or Spanish, whatever, or Hebrew, whatever your native tongue is. Okay, so the exhortation is, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than y'all. He's not saying, hey, what, you know what he's saying is? You know, you guys could really speak in tongues more. That's what he's saying. He says, I praise God, I speak in tongues more than all of you do, and I'm an apostle, you should follow my example. He's literally coming in the back door and saying, hey, you guys could really pray in tongues a whole lot more than you do. You could use tongues a whole lot more, because I do as an apostle. Amen. Okay, I, uh, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Okay, so people read that and say, well, yeah, that means that he doesn't want you to speak in tongues because teaching is better, you know, 10,000 words to five. Well, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, uh, is that in, uh, if, uh, in the assembly, that there's the praising God in tongues or, or using tongues is fine, but the word of God is, has much more validity than, than even our own praise. See, the word of God is, what God says to us is more important than what we say to God, all right? Now, we need to speak to God, but let's not think that we can speak words that have a greater power or validity than the word of God, okay? And so that's the point that he is making. Any questions here before we go on? Okay, critical, critical truth that you may not have seen before is that here is tongue. That you pray in your native tongue as well. So pray in tongues all that you want and pray with English, you know, your native tongue as well. Does, is that clear to you? Amen. Okay, let's move on. And we need to look at, okay, we've looked at first, speaking with tongues directed to God, principle and practice. Now, speaking in tongues directed to men, part one, principle. Speaking in tongues directed to men, part two, problem. Okay, now there is a problem that is happening in the Corinthian church now. Normally, or not normally, but people will say the problem was that they were all speaking in tongues at the exact same time, and that's horrible, and Paul was telling them to cut it out. And that's not what he was saying at all. Okay, verse 20, we have a transitional verse. Uh, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. Okay, so he's just talking about, you know, love people and... Uh, 
focus your minds in on what I'm about to say. Verse 21. We're establishing again context. We've had uh, principle in, the, uh, in 6 through 19 that if you're going to address the congregation in tongues, then it must be interpreted. Now, there's a, there's a problem in that. The context is the same. Again, we're still talking about addressing the assembly. And it says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. Okay? So again, we're still referring to something that is to people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe, but for them uh, believe not, but for them which believe. Okay. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Okay. So. Uh, tongues, uh, I, I've missed verse, uh, tongues are for a sign, uh, the ministry gift of tongues, tongue and interpretation, is a sign to believers, tongues in terms of praise and worship is a sign of, to believers as we saw in Acts chapter 2. Okay, verse 23. Can you see that at all? Is that? Okay. Verse 23. How this is normally read by non-Pentecostal people and even Pentecostal people who get nervous when they read it this way but don't know any better. They read, and all speak with tongues at the same time. Then if somebody comes in, they'll say you're nuts. But it doesn't say at the same time, does it? Does it say at the same time? No. Okay, thank you. It doesn't say at the same time. It could, it could mean at the same time, or it could mean every single one, one after another after another, with, remember, no interpretation. It could mean either one, couldn't it? If you all assemble together, and everybody speaks in tongues all at the same time, they'll say you're crazy. It could mean that. Or it could mean if you all spoke in tongues, one after another, after another, after another, everybody gets their shot in, and it's not interpreted, then that could mean that as well, couldn't it? So we have to decide which one it means. That's very important. Well, let's look at verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. Now, would we say that if everybody prophesies at the exact same time, that everybody will get convicted and want to get saved. Is that what that verse means? Verse 31. Just look over. It says, For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. So in verse 24, does it mean all at the same time or one by one? One by one. If it, it means that, if that is the purpose, and that is the injunction that Paul is giving in verse 24, then context demands the exact same construction, 
There's no difference in the grammar. It is the exact same thing in verse 23. Paul is not saying, if you all praise God at the exact same time, they're going to think that you're nuts. What Paul is saying is, if you prophesy, I mean, if you speak in tongues one by one by one by one, without interpretation, the all of 6 through 19 is what he was establishing, then they're going to say that you're crazy. That word prophesy doesn't mean uh, saying I've given a prophecy, though. I mean, it means that you're doing right now. It means foretelling or speaking for God. It doesn't necessarily stand up and speak words of prophecy. Is that right? Well, I, I believe in this case that, that it does, that it's talking to, about the, the use of these gifts, that, uh, that uh, there is a sense in which preaching is prophetic, but then there is also the specific gift of prophecy that comes in the assembly. And, and so we're talking about, uh, because God doesn't want uh, the, everybody in the assembly getting up and giving a sermon, you know, one by one by one by one. But he is saying that it's possible to exercise the gift of prophecy, those that have that gift. Good question. Okay. Are there any questions on the point that we've made? Can you, can you see that? See, when you read that in your mind, you probably thought, if all speak with tongues at the exact same time. But that's not there. doesn't even say that. The only way we have to fit in an understanding does it mean at the same time, or does it mean one after another after another? Well, context demands that it be the latter. Context necessitates our interpreting that, that if we speak in tongues one after another after another after another, and there is no interpretation, we're actually addressing the assembly, then people are going to think we're crazy around here. Okay. What's not clear? It seems like, to me, when I read it, it seems like it ought to be the opposite. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, this, is, uh, this is probably uh, these two verses, or these three verses together, should we say, are confusing to many people. In Philip's translation of the Bible, who, he reverses them. And he just writes a little footnote. He says, this is the only time in my whole New Testament that I reverse the natural textual thing and I just I just reversed him I figured somebody made a boo-boo somewhere well I, you know the one verse in the whole New Testament but I think that what you, there's a difference between a sign and what actually ministers conviction okay tongues are for a sign to unbelievers but not necessarily a sign to believers that are already speaking in tongues. But then, but tongues in themselves, you can't hear the word of God and be convicted and want to get saved. But that's when prophecy comes in. And prophecy will work to convict and to reveal the, the inner workings of a man's heart. Is, do you see that? It's, it's not the different, it sounds like it's a reversal of, uh, of the, the two terms. It's not a reversal of the terms. It's a, it's a talking about two different uses. One is simply for a sign. Tongues are for a sign. And then besides a sign, you know, you can see a miracle, but you can't get saved just by seeing a miracle. 
That's a sign. You can see somebody raised from the dead, but the only way you're going to get saved is if you hear the gospel and believe. That's when, so a miracle is a sign. Yeah, there's something happening here. But it's in the prophecy that you begin to find out what you need to do about that. Does that make sense to you? Yes. There's, uh, it says... Okay, there, well, uh, there are two, two thoughts of the, of the different functions. Let's read it. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Wherefore, it prophesies, serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues and are come in those that are unlearned unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, it, he is convinced of all and he is judged of all. Okay, and so we have uh, we have tongues that are a sign, but they cannot bring conviction. We have prophecy whose main thrust is for the assembly. Okay, it is for believers. It is for the exhortation and comfort of uh, the assembly. But it has that other thrust that it will also cause somebody to be convicted about the reality of God in our midst. Okay. Praise God. All right. Dave? Twenty-eight, yeah. Praise God. Excellent. Well, uh, first of all, prophecy is not the main thrust of conviction. That is the Word of God. But it does have a function. And so just as a, uh, as a congregation matures, as the, as the word of God is proclaimed, an opportunity is given, then those uh, who have, are gifted in that fashion can begin to exercise that gift. It is not something that can be orchestrated in, or, uh, there, or an arbitrary or, or an artificial, uh, let's use that word, an artificial uh, do it. Here, you, you do it. Because what you find is that just people just do it. Much more if it just totally God coming forth and somebody said, this is God, I'm going to obey God. Because what you'll do, you'll go and you'll have uh, prophecy marathons and they drop a little mic down from the ceiling and they, you get off and you do your thing. And uh, there's churches like that all over and you just, you know, people, they're not even of God, but they're just people doing it. So we teach that prophecy is a valid expression. Uh, that prophecy is a work that God wants to do through lives, and if God's causing you wants you to prophesy, you you ought to prophesy. Okay, Dale. Uh huh. Praise the Lord. Good, Dwayne. 
what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they read into that, but that's not what it says. You, um, and so uh, it's talking about something that really is a supernatural thing, okay? There's a, now a prophet, okay? Not everybody that prophesies is a prophet, and, uh, but a prophet will, who has a prophetic ministry will be involved in preaching as well as supernatural utterance. But again, I need to hone us in. We're not talking about prophecy, okay? And uh, those are good questions, but let's just finish up on tongues before we go on. Sister? God. Exactly. Tremendous. Praise the Lord. Sister? the Lord exactly I'm sorry I'm going to have to move on real quick if I get through then we'll open it up for any more okay Paul therefore is not speaking concerning congregational praise in tongues in this passage that we're looking at right here in verse he's talking verse 21 and 24 tell us that is addressing the assembly not praise and worship addressed to God he is, he is forbidding one after another speaking to the congregation without interpretation. That's what is being forbidden here. That uh, what is happening is people are addressing the congregation, but there is no interpretation that is going on. They're just doing it to exercise their gift. And what's happening is that they're trying to shut down all use of tongues because of that misuse. Paul obviously is saying in the first chapter and in the illustration in verses 14 through 17 that praying and praising in tongues does not require interpretation, that doing it all at the same time is not forbidden, but what is forbidden is to address the assembly and not have it interpreted. Okay, so speaking in tongues directed to men, part three, procedure, verses 26 through 33. Okay, again, the context we, we uh, see in verse 26. Uh, how is it that, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let, let all things be done unto edifying. Talking about edifying the assembly. Okay, so again, we're not talking about that which is to edify yourself in worship. He's talking about to edify the assembly. And uh, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, what are we talking about? Speaking to God? No. The context is speaking to the assembly, speaking to men, speaking to the congregation for the purpose of edifying that congregation. Let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And we could go, the, re the rest has to do with prophecy. Okay, so... The two or three is the procedure that has to do with the ministry gift to the assembly. 
We've seen that for prayer and praise, no interpretation is necessary at all. If we went out of 1 Corinthians 14 and turned to the book of Acts, then it's obvious in 2, 10, 19, all praising God all at the same time, nobody interpreting. Now, those, it was the Holy Ghost disobeying the word of God. I don't believe the Holy Ghost does that. But he stirred those people to speak in tongues all at the same time and no interpretation. Why? Because that's a different thing. There's the ministry gift of tongues that is to the assembly for edifying of the assembly that must be interpreted. And then there's the individual language for prayer and praise that's given to you when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost to pray and to praise. And that does not have to be interpreted and it is never, ever forbidden that that all be done at the exact same time. I have one minute. Yes. Well, uh, it's not necessarily that it's going to happen in every single assembly. Uh, you're not necessarily going to have all of those things happen every single time. That may, but it doesn't. It's but when you come together, okay, in the in the pattern of coming together, that these things happen, okay. Michael? Uh, I've had a lot of people tell me that uh, they argue that speaking in tongues, well, I was at your service and there were people speaking in tongues and there was no interpretation. And uh, in 27 and 28 where he says that if man, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, he goes on to say, could be an interpreter. If not, let him speak to God. Right there, he cleared it up that there's two types of speaking. One says speaking in an unknown tongue, one speaking to God. Okay. Exactly. Tremendous. Okay, we have to dismiss. I'm sorry. Uh, any questions you want to address to me, you, you can later. The Lord bless you.